Welcome to the Sound of Movement podcast. Today, we're talking about program design for strength training. This is going to be a really good topic. Phil and I have just had a really good discussion about what it is that we're going to cover today. And if you want to know the fundamentals of program design when it comes to strength development, you're going to want to listen to this one. What's up, everyone? It's time to rock. If you're new to the tribe, Rich is behind the mix. Phil is across the table from me. My name is Rad Burmeister. We are Unity Gym. Experts are turning driven people into athletes. This episode is brought to you by the Unify Movement System, the only online program effectively balancing strength, flexibility, and fitness so you can unleash your inner athlete. You can get daily coaching by us, plus our epic foundations prep program and revolutionary structural balance blueprint to create your ideal program and optimize your performance. As a valued listener, use the link in the description to get your first month free. Now, before we get started, warm welcome if you're on the live stream in the UMS Movement Mastermind Facebook group. Leave a comment and we'll send you some love. Remember that anyone can join that group and interact with us. And lastly, shout out to our YouTube athletes catching the replay. Hit the like button to support the channel and subscribe if you like what you you see. So uh, as I said before, joining us today is Phil White from ADPT Physio. How are you today, man? Feeling a bit sorry for myself, Rad. Yeah, you are, aren't you? I had such a good weekend of activities and then I slipped over in a puddle of water and I've hurt my knee. So it's, but I always take these injuries when I range myself, it's always an opportunity to learn and be uh, a bit more aware of what patients are often going through when they uh, <laughs> come and see me. So just trying to find the positives. <laughs> Horrible, man. I mean, we were talking about this just before, right? As you limp yeah. around the gym, <laughs> you know, all the f- training and everything that we do. Um, yeah. And uh, and then to get, you know, an injury from slipping over in a puddle. Yeah. In a Sad su- state of affairs, yeah. huh? It felt very, uh, very silly in the supermarket on the floor. Like, oh, God. Yeah, <laughs> what well. have I done? Anyway, all good. I'm yeah. here. Here we are, hey? And we're back. And we're back. <laughs> so... Listen, today's a, I'm, I'm excited for this one because this is a, a really good discussion and it, we're going to be talking about, we're going to keep it simple, we're going to keep it short and on t- uh, on point, but we are going to be giving away some, some really valuable uh, bombs of knowledge if you want to know how to write uh, your own strength training programs. And the first thing that we're going to talk about in today's show is uh, primary lifts versus supplementary lifts. So if you don't know what this means, it refers to when you do, this is within one single workout, you have X amount of exercises. Um, In our workouts, we, as far as the strength movements go, we usually keep it to six strength movements. So we have two primary movements and four supplementary movements. And the first thing I wanna do is talk about why we do that and, and really what a primary movement is and what a supplementary movement is. So a primary movement is, it's, it's basically the movement that your workout um, is about. So for example, in uh, today's Tuesday in Australia and today in the UMS is the squat day. So the primary movement for the workout is a squat. So when, when we design Tuesday's workout, um, the very first thing that we think of is, okay, what's the primary movement? It's a squat. Now the whole workout is gonna be built around the squat. So it's not that we say, what am I gonna do today? Oh, I might do this, I might do this, and I'll do a bit of squatting. Well, that's not how we do it. We come up with the primary movement first, and and then the workout is built around that. We've referred to these movements as the fundamental movements. Mm-hmm. Um, previously, we were talking about uh, the core movements for the days, so. Yeah, and once you have that primary movement, at least if you understand how to design a program, then you can start thinking about what, what other exercises are gonna supplement the squat. Um, and a really good example of one of the iterations that we had recently within our program 
was that on um, some of Phil's input, we decided to remove the Nordic hamstring curl as the the exercise that was paired with the squat and we decided to put calf raises in instead. So when we do, so the primary movements for the Tuesday workout at Unity Gym is a is a squat variation. So it could be a back squat, a front squat, a split squat, whatever it is, a low bar barbell squat, a box squat, whatever. Um, and, and it's paired with a calf raise, some form of calf raise. Do you want to um, talk us through the reasoning for that, Phil? Yeah. So in thinking about these fundamental mm-hmm. movements, so if we kind of just quickly go through um, what each of the days are in the Unity um, program, we have a, a vertical push-pull Monday, squat Tuesday, straight arm strength or athletic development Wednesday, um, Thursday horizontal push pull and Friday deadlift. Uh, those are that's basically kind of covering the the full body and all the major movements of the big joint systems um, in the body. And so when you talk about a joint system, um, it's a bit different to looking at an individual action of a joint. So um, at the shoulders, you can obviously just um, with a straight arm lift it up or lift it to the side and that will be the shoulder um, moving but kind of moving in isolation but if we think about pushing and pulling then you're bringing in shoulder movements axioscapular joint movement so basically what's happening your scapula um your elbows and and uh i guess your wrist even a little bit so that's kind of pushing putting all of these um this up the upper limb joints working as a system so when we think about the fundamental movements we basically want to um try and get these these basic human movements that really translate well into athletic performance. So with pushing, um, you know, you're gonna get good force for, uh, you know, th- uh, throwing a, throwing really hard or uh, tackling someone, you got that great strength. Pulling, you're gonna have, um, you know, in- important for climbing or uh, for rowing or strength like that. And then the, the fact that we're getting kind of both sides of, you know, pushing and pulling together means that we're gonna build up that shoulder or that upper limb system really well now with the squats and looking at that change from going from um, pairing a squat with a hamstring curl um, to changing it to the calves when you think about what's actually happening in a squat it's going to be a combination um, of uh, both hip, uh, hip if, we're look, if we're going from the bottom so of the squat top. up then yeah. we're going to be extending our hips and we're going to be extending our knees um, and extending our uh, well keeping our strong neutral lumbar spine mm-hmm. so with that when we look at the hip extensors, that's going to be your um, your glutes, your hamstrings, and partly your adductors as well. Um, and so then the pairing with Nordic hamstring curls, like the Nordic hamstring curls are an amazing movement. And they, I think, you know, you really want to, especially if you're doing sprinting, running, any kind of team sport where you're likely to potentially tear your hamstrings, like putting that as a high priority movement is a great idea. But what happened um, was when we were looking at it, really the hamstrings are a part of the overall system and sort of pre-fatiguing that one part of the system then impacts how um, how, how well you can do yeah. your fundamental movement. Yeah. And so what we decided to do was change it to um, focusing on the calves where the calves aren't really as impacted um, strength-wise in the squat. And they're a really important one for both um, knee stability and health and also basically like any sport you want to do that in, involves running, sprinting, jumping, um, yeah. you're going to want to have conditioned calves. So that's a good example of just that little change that we've made somewhat recently mm. um, to really try and optimize this strength development as well as possible. And a good example of you know what Phil just explained through there is what uh, when you come up with your primary movement, the considerations that then come into play for what you're going to pair those movements in. Because the whole idea... Um, some people don't pair exercises when they do workouts, but the whole idea of pairing exercise is for one reason and one reason only. It's just for efficiency. It's to get more done in less time. Because if you, 
you know, there's a there's optimal rest periods that need to be um, considered when you're programming, and it's different for maximal strength. It's different for hypertrophy. It's different for endurance. Um, but basically, there is a period of rest that must um, be observed in order to be able to repeatedly, you know, lift the same amount of load. So the idea of pairing exercises is that instead of just sitting there doing nothing while you're resting, you do an, an exercise of on, on opposing muscle groups. So everything that Phil just said there is a good example of how you can choose an exercise um, like that. So when it it's much simpler when it comes to the upper body movements, like with a vertical push versus a vertical pull. They're just it's opposing mu it's, it's muscles that are pulling for the for the arm for the upper limb versus muscles that are pushing. So. Once you've got your primary lifts dialed in and you say, okay, these are my primary lifts, the idea is that you've chosen movements that have the biggest bang for your buck um, on those muscle groups, on that movement, um, and that, that's the, the primary lift, the first and the second movement that you do, or in, in our case, what you call an A1 and an A2 movement. Everything after that is called a supplementary lift. And the reason why it's called a supplementary lift is because if you're training for maximal strength, you just can't produce maximal strength in more than one movement uh, in one workout. So if I want to do, for example, if I want to do a flat barbell bench press and I want to do um, five sets of three reps, that, that's a, that means I'm lifting a lot of weight if I'm doing that rep range of three reps. If I then afterwards want to say, okay, now I'm going to go and do some dumbbell chest press and I'm also going to do five sets of three reps, well, I'm not going to be lifting anywhere near the maximal weight that I can lift, which means that by definition, that dumbbell chest press isn't a, a, a maximal lift, it becomes a supplementary lift. It's it's basically done to add more volume to the same muscle groups or the same movement because it's still a horizontal push movement. Totally. And people get a, can get a bit confused sometimes here where they think that like, you know, uh, the primary movement is always going to be a barbell and the um, sec secondary is always going to be, you know, a dumbbell or a cable or some other like uh, lesser yeah. um, sort of, you know, apparatus but it's it's all about the intensity and the rep ranges like you could definitely make the dumbbell component the primary um and, and you can really and you can make the yeah. supplementary as, as the barbell um you know you could even do it with weight like um you know machine weights which would mm -hmm. you know is blasphemy mm -hmm. but like yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. the really key thing to think about here is it's not some like hierarchy of um, movements necessarily or particular types of app apparatus. It's about the kind of intention you put behind them. And we've chosen to give that primary position to the fundamental movements, which we think is the best bang for your buck and they're going to have the best um, efficiency and athletic development. But yeah, the idea of what you actually, if you want to focus on one particular thing and then that intensity is what gives it that Yep. Yeah, yep. and generally speaking, barbells are superior for producing maximal strength over dumbbells. Most strength coaches seem to um, follow that pursuit, but that doesn't mean there there isn't reasons where within a mesocycle you do what Phil said, where you do your, your dumbbells as your primary and your barbells as your supplementary. And sometimes you you won't do it. Sometimes you might do you know rings as your primary and dumbbells as your supplementary or whatever it is. But the idea is what we're saying is it's important to identify what the primary lift is and, and then understand that everything after that is a supplementary lift because that allows you to write a program where you you really identify that this primary lift. This is where my 100% effort goes in. And then everything else is just to bolster the work that I've already done there. So another example would be um, in Bentham Strength Days, we would do, uh, we do like um, shoulder conditioning works, things like trap three raises and external rotation patterns. 
Um, and those are those are exercises that are that are really important for overall shoulder health. But we don't recommend that you do those before a primary lift like a bench press because you you're pre-fatiguing muscles that are required to create stability in the shoulder when you do something like a bench press. And if you do that, you, you increase your risk of injury, don't you? Or you reduce your ability to produce maximal force on that bench press when that's really what the purpose of the bench press is. So exactly, it's it's all about that. I, I really you know try and get getting that idea of systems is <coughs> so key because if you think about all the components of a system, if you just take out one of those components and um, you know fatigue that then the whole system falls apart. Like, not, yep. And when I say fall apart, it doesn't mean you will get injured if you do that, but you're not going to have an optimally um, performing system. So yep. really do try and um, wrap your head around, like anatomy is an extremely complex um, thing if you go deep dive into it, but getting that basic under, understanding of which muscles are generally involved in pushing and which ones are involved in pulling. Um, same with the lower body, which ones are um, you know involved in more of hip hinge patterns versus which ones are involved more in... Um, uh, you know, knee extension um, kind of squat patterns, uh, like hip, pat sorry, hip inverse squat patterns. Um, like by getting that basic understanding, then you can start to think like, oh, okay, if I am, you know, adding in, um, you know, maybe just a, like uh, that hamstring, for example, like if you're just really taking hamstrings while you're trying to squat, then that, that will influence. So um, I think it's, yeah, a really useful thing, or you could just follow what we do and we've already thought about it for you. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, absolutely. Like the truth is, um, Understanding these, I mean, e even if when you finish listening to this show, there is just so much to program design that's taken people like Phil, Richard, Yanni and me um, well over, you know, a decade to really get our heads around. Like even when you learn it all, um, you know, when you do your certificate for in personal training or like Phil, when he did his three years as exercise and sports science at uni, you still um, don't really get it until you've done it for many, many years and worked with people and, um, you know, spoken about why you think it should be this way versus why they think. And, and then it all sort of starts to fall into place. Yeah. And like, you know, I did sports science three years and I did physio for three years at uni. But then the most I learned about programming was, you know, working with um, taking that kind of knowledge and that anatomy background and then working with people who, you know, have uh, just achieved incredible things in the mm -hmm. gyms like yourself and yep. um, Australian chain coach and kind of wrapping it all together. So yep. it does, yeah, it does, and there is a lot to it. And I want to just take a second there to sort of um, say as well, like especially when you're starting out, it, as we've talked about before in other, um, other podcasts where we've talked about what's involved in strength and the change from uh, it being a neurological adaptation to becoming more of a hypertrophy adaptation. We probably won't cover that for this particular um, episode today, but worth going back and looking at that. But when you start out, basically anything you do will get give you a positive result, and you're going to be generally working at fairly sub-maximal sort of um, loads for your physiology at the beginning, just because you haven't got that neurologic adaptation to access the strength you have, and also you don't have the technique to really um, you know achieve sort of what your true like maximal strength is. So at the beginning, you're just going to be like improving almost no matter what you do, as long as you turn up and you lift some weight. But when it comes to wanting to really achieve, um, you know, challenging goals, uh, go beyond what is sort of just a normal um, thing, that's when you yeah, really have to like, pretty, yeah. yeah, that's where this sort of fine tuning of your programming becomes so important. So, because um, yeah, there's so many different people out there doing so many different things and a lot of people will get great results. But yeah, yeah this is like this level of detail is when you really want to, um, I guess, one, uh, try and avoid getting sort of 
injuries long term from poor yeah. um, you know load management, but also too is is really mm. hitting through plateaus that come from um, poor. Yeah training practices and and for those of you that are that are enrolled in the ums online coaching program and who you know have access to the programs that we've created um the my final point on primary versus supplementaries is that you understand that when you go into your workout your primaries get a hundred percent of your effort like the primary lift is the one where you know if you're doing five sets of five reps where you're really aiming to try to increase your strength or to, to lift as much as you can safely throughout the workout the supplementaries you know often it's kind of like a, oh my god i'm so exhausted i'm just going to get through it kind of a thing if you approach your workouts correctly that's not what you do with your primaries. You don't come to your primaries with this, oh my God, I'm just going to get through it kind of an attitude. You try and be, like allow that you know, 25 minutes as we do it in the UMS, uh, allow that time to be the time that you really switch on. And then when you do your supplementaries, you can fall back to that, oh my God, I'm so wrecked. I'm just going to get through a kind of a mentality, yeah. if that makes sense. Uh, just quickly here, um, g'day to all the people who are watching live. And we've got a question here from Stephen Pellegrino, who's one of our online coaching members, saying, uh, in just after I was talking about, uh, I guess, ankle um, cuff strength as our second primary for squats. And he's saying, how about corkscrew squats for the ankles? And I think this is a really good little discussion to have just to kind of make it really clear about what um, fits as a primary. I just had to YouTube actually what a corkscrew squat was, but basically it's like starting as if you're sitting with your legs crossed and then you're um, standing up, not using your hands, pushing up from like the bottom of a um, mm -hmm. squat, kind of going up onto your toes and then turning around, um, twisting around, coming back down the other way. So you can see here that that's, you know, obviously your ankles are going to be involved. Um, your calves are going to be involved in this because you're going um, from a basically dorsiflexion, so bent ankles to um, going up onto your toes, which is going to be a calf raise. So that will, um, you know, be utilizing your calves. But the key thing to understand with your primaries is that we're putting them in that primary position so that we can fatigue, like work to a level that's really going to get a stimulus that will cause a positive strength adaptation. The limiting factor for your corkscrew ankles, um, your corkscrew squats, is not going to be how strong your calves are. Like your calves are never going to be the thing that is going to be fatigued first when you're doing that. The range of motion is so challenging. Um, you're using, you're also using all the muscles that are involved in the squat, so you're getting that little bit of interference there, and you're not able to progressively overload it in the same way you would um, as a calf raise. So um, it, you know, it, it's a funky movement, and it could be a great mobility exercise or a thing to do um, secondary after your primary movement. And I can see Stephen's just pop, um, popping in here and saying, not a primary, um, not as a primary, which, yeah, this is what I want to get to. It's basically like it's, but to get the adequate stimulus for your calves to develop strength, you're going to need to do something that is targeted more towards the calves and the is not going to interfere with the squat. So that's just a little example of how this kind of comes into play. Yeah, absolutely. And m my take on that is, what I'd like to say, um, Stephen, is that we've only got so many hours to train in a day. And like, I think for most people, if you trained for two hours a day and you did that consistently, that is a hell of a lot to dedicate to training for the average person. And if you've got two hours a day to train, then you really want to be thinking about what your goals are and what you want to tick off. And the exercise that you just described there, I've actually done that before when I used to do Kung Fu, but there's 
not a lot of reason for why you do a lot of the stuff when you do um, martial arts. It's kind of just was handed down through the generations and that's why you do it. I would certainly not do that exercise before X, Y, and Z. And X, Y, and Z takes me at least two hours to do, which means you've got to ask yourself, where is this going to fit in? Where am I going to do this? Because would I do this before my, like for you, you've got the UMS. Would I do it before anything in the UMS? Absolutely not. I wouldn't do it before my primary squats, supplementary squats, um, and flexibility and core exercises. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So then and you've got to ask yourself, well, where are you going to do it? And this is where it comes down to, like the UMS is a wonderful foundation for you to build a, a program off. And then there's going to be individual specificity of what you are trying to achieve. And you can say, um, Stephen's saying here that it helped my ankles and outside of his knees, which is like, you know, if that's a problem area and you recognize that a certain movement will... Um, help you with a specific goal, then that's an appropriate time to sub it in. But I think there's, um, and for someone who's fairly advanced in his training, like Stephen Pellegrino, um, that, you know, makes sense if you've made an informed choice there. But yeah, it can be uh, tempting to always try and add in new funky different movements, which is good for exposing your body to a variety of stimuluses. But when you're trying to get strong, um, like variability can be a bit of a non-productive um, distraction, which yeah. is, I think, the second main thing we want yeah. to talk about. For yeah, yeah, absolutely. Years. I mean, look, what, what we, you know, what we've spoken about so far is primaries versus supplementaries and why, you know, you should only do a couple of primary exercises in one workout. And then, you know, to understand how do you choose your, your primary exercises and the exercise that you've uh, suggested there, Stephen, I would definitely not call that a primary exercise i, I, I put that in the mobility yeah mood, yeah like. absolutely yeah as a mobility exercise which means like where would i put that in i'd be doing that uh as a mobility exercise on one of your upper body strength days like i wouldn't do that in the lower body workout um but let's talk now about uh program splits so a program split is basically the way that you put monday to saturday uh, workouts in sometimes program splits can even go over two weeks so a single program split um, I've seen uh, a lot of program splits that go over two weeks I think Bass even uses two-week program splits sometimes like he's got yeah you know um, and the way that we do our program split is the first thing that I do is I highly recommend that people have one day a week that is not a part of their program uh, so we recommend Sunday so Sunday is a day where you you don't have to do nothing but it shouldn't be a day where you've got programmed workouts in. Um, now, this is going off the people that we work with. Um, the people that we work with work a lot and need a day that you say, this is a rest day. This is a day where you don't go to the gym, you don't try and push yourself, you don't try to create results. You can go and play some soccer or football or you know go for a swim or play some Frisbee or whatever, but yeah. Now, then the other thing that we consider is that um, most of the research that I've read, most of the literature I've read says that you should rest between 48 to 72 hours on the same muscle group before doing strength training on it again for adaptation to occur and to reduce risk of injury and to allow yourself to produce maximal force. Now, what what is the 48 to 72 hour? Why is there a variable? Because it depends on how hard you push yourself, depends on how much volume there was, depends on training age, all these things. But just to be safe, we don't do the same muscle groups again for 72 hours. So how does that look? 
We do bent arm strength on Monday and then bent arm strength again on Thursday. So movements, pushing and pulling movements that involve bending the elbow happen 72 hours after each other. We do squats on Tuesday, deadlifts on Friday. They're both lower, predominantly lower body movements, 72 hour window. Um, and that really allows um, adequate time to recover, which does a lot of things. A lot of people come to the gym and when they say, how many days a week should, should we train? And we say five and they go, whoa, wow, okay, that's a lot. And I always say to them, well, it's only a lot if you're used to workouts that kill you so badly that you can't do more than two of them in a row and then you need a day off. That's not what the UMS is. The UMS is really well designed in a way that you might come on Monday, walk out feeling like, oh my God, my upper body's so sore, but then you come on Tuesday and you don't use the upper body at all, except for stretching. Um, so yeah, that's a, in a nutshell, uh, a, a program split in how we do it. You, you got anything you want to add to that, Phil? Um, just that, like, I guess coming back to that idea of um, yeah, how you actually do progressive overload, and we did do some episodes on this somewhat recently, but um, that sort of pre-planned split means that you're getting enough stimulus to the same, like a, as frequently as you need to get a really good strength stimulus without, um, I guess some, the error that a lot of people make with strength training is um, always looking for new exercises to do that are um, gonna be the silver bullet that suddenly makes them strong. And really like to get strong, you need to do the same things over and over and over and over, and over again. And like yeah. having the movement variability in our primary movements we as we said with meter cycles you might change every six weeks from um a front squat to a back squat to a high bar to a low bar to a split squat like a, um, a goblet squat whatever like you might be changing that but the fundamental movement is the same and that's going to give you um, a great balance of variability where you know you're challenging the system in different um ways so that your body is kind of ready for um you know, variability within your life, but it's not too much variability that you totally lose the, um, I guess, frequency intensity needed to actually get strong. Because so many people plateau just because they chop and change too quickly and don't get that sort of momentum up. And yeah, that's mm -hmm. yep. important. Yeah, for sure. Um, Stephen Pellegrino's uh, referring to that movement that he was describing to us saying that that was one of uh, Coach Summer's mobility drills forgot what it was paired with um first time i tried it was impossible so i always am interested in stuff that exposes super weak links and that's a really good attitude i really like that Stephen. uh and, I, and and i don't think phil and i understood that when we were giving our feedback on it before we thought that you were um asking how do we think about doing that as a as a primary movement yeah you asked it just after i talked about calf primaries so yeah yeah that's... it makes a lot more sense now that you say that that was one of coach summer's mobility drills because i have done uh the gymnastics bodies um course i was enrolled in that for a half a, uh, maybe a year or so and uh i also uh, did their level one certification um, when they came to australia so i do have a decent understanding of how the gymnastics bodies programming works and um you know coach summers has got a, a lot of skin in the game and he's um uh he's done some uh good stuff and i i, I don't really want to critique um his work uh, to be honest so i'm sure yeah, but that I thought it's just it brings a really good um highlight on when thinking about your exercise selection think about what other joints joints are involved in the movement you want to do and if you try and max out 
that movement, what are going to be the limiting factors? And in a movement like that, where your calves are involved, your calves are never going to be the limiting factor for that movement. So I think it's just, I'm glad you brought it up because it's a really, I think, a useful learning um, example for people who are trying to figure this stuff out. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Absolutely. All right. And the last point that we're going to talk about before we finish is uh, when to change exercise selection. Um, and this is this is an important thing because if you look at the two ends of the spectrum, which, uh, you know, both have their flaws, like on one extreme end is the is the person that goes to the gym and and does like, let's look at this uh, horizontal push or bench press example that we've been using. Somebody that goes to the gym, learns the bench press and you see them six months later and they're still doing the bench press versus on the other end of the spectrum, someone that's always searching YouTube for the next exercise that they haven't done before so that they can do a different workout the next time they go to the gym than what they did last time. Um, both of those examples are flawed for, for different reasons. On, on one end of the spectrum, my take on it is that when you just do that, like what Phil said, you, everybody um, will experience some adaptation from doing anything when they start at the gym. So when you start and you do your flat bench press, you're going to see some real strength gains and even some hypertrophy development in the first couple of months. But that's going to plateau off if you don't change up the exercise selection. And then on the other end of the spectrum, when you're constantly changing what you do, you never actually give your body the time to adapt to what it is that you're doing. There is an adaptation that's going to occur, but my understanding of it is that it's not going to be um, as effective as the adaptation that occurs to doing the same stimulus for several weeks or several workouts. Yep. Yeah. Oh, mic drop. Well, <laughs> so I, I feel like I just yeah, said, yeah, I cool. said that before you said it. Yeah, so. you did. Yeah, you oh, did. <laughs> so the um, yeah, just make sure that you're uh, like the way we do it in the UMS is that we do we do two mesocycles before we change, or at least before we do massive change to exercise selection. So the way we do it is we have a after people are out of our. Uh, foundations phase and in the foundations phase the exercise selections are, are set in stone they're there for you and each program phase is a very slight change to the exercise selection like for example as um, some uh, you know we'll go from a, um, a low bar barbell box squat to a high bar barbell box squat to a low bar barbell squat so those are very small variability changes in the squat movement pattern um, but then when we go to the uh, progressions program, what we do is we get people to test, uh, structural balance test, f- which uncovers weaknesses and imbalances. Then we write a program phase for them, uh, sorry, two program phases, so an accumulation phase and then an intensification phase, which is basically a phase that's designed to accumulate volume and build muscle, followed by a phase that's designed to uh, lift a lot of weight and build strength. Um, and in those two phases, we don't really change the exercise selection much. The, the variability that changes from phase to phase is the amount of weight and volume that we lift. And then we retest and then write a new phase of programming. And that works really well for people. It gives people enough time to um, to really get their head around what the, the purpose of the movement that they're trying to do is. Um, it gives them enough time to actually see a real change in the body, an objective change. Uh, and it doesn't go for so long that they start getting bored. Huh, there we go. Phil's nodding his head for those of you that yep. are listening to the podcast. Um, that's all we've got time for today. Um, we are going to be continuing our talk tomorrow about um, program design. So make sure you tune in. Phil and Richard and I will uh, figure out exactly what it is we're going to be talking about, but we're going to be continuing this discussion about program design. So if you've got any questions, get them in. Yeah, and remember, uh, we have talked about uh, strength 
development before, so do go back and look at the back catalog if you are really interested in this topic. And also there is the blue, um, strength blueprint, uh, just like we went off the flexibility blueprint yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, if you jump on, um, I think probably link. We well, can link get it in the description or, of yeah, these. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, wherever you. So that's a great this. one. If you are really interested in how to get strong, do go and um, yeah access that because yeah. again yeah, we've awesome. we've thought about this stuff a lot. So make the most of it. Yeah, <laughs> awesome, awesome. All right, team, uh, I'll see everyone in our UMS online coaching program um, over in that group uh, straight away. Let's get online and do your coaching call. See you soon. Health is about performance, not just body image. You better be willing to accept what you're going to have to do to get there. We'll start focusing on movement goals, strength goals, flexibility goals. When you nail that skill, it's there forever. The body image goal doesn't get you that far. It's the consistency and frequency that's going to get you there. It's not the intensity. There's no shortcuts to mastery and movement. Destination doesn't change overnight, but your direction will. It's the gym is not the place to beat up the body that you hate. It's the place to build the body that you love. We are the gym that teaches people how to move instead of just exercise because we believe that health is about performance, not just body image.